It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom, with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to see him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, We will never find any basis for charges against this man Daniel unless it is something to do with the law of his God. So these administrators and the satraps went to the ground to the king and said, Making Darius rule forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days that anyone who prays to any god or human being except you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, The decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, Remember, your majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, that no decree or edicts that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and the, with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, May the king live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me, because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found in him, because he trusted in his God. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den. 
along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. When King Darius wrote to all the nations, then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language and all the earth. May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom people must fear and, rev and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He's rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. This is the word of the Lord. I'm not very good at mechanical things. <laughs> this is a dramatic chapter in a dramatic book. Daniel's circumstances and world are very different to ours. Yet keeping to the heart of our faith, keeping our confidence in God's purposes can be difficult in an anxious age. To put it in terms of your series on the book of Daniel, what does it mean in practice to trust in the sovereign God whatever life throws at us? What does Daniel chapter 6, the account of Daniel in the lion's den, as it's very commonly known, have to say to us in particular? This chapter does, of course, remind us of the third chapter of Daniel. Uh, the friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I'm sorry, I can never say it, Abednego, tested for their faith. The friends had escaped. God acted, sending an angel to protect them. Now it's Daniel's turn. The opening verses set the scene in the court of Darius. Darius the Mede, as we've been told at the end of chapter 5. Now, there is a debate as to whether Darius the Mede is Cyrus the Persian or you know, two separate people. And in fact, when you actually uh, look at most translations, uh, what they tend to favour in the main text is uh, that it's two separate people. But if you actually look in your margin in the in the NIV for verse 28, you see that there's a, a, a note of a, an alternative translation which actually says, you know, Darius the Mede, that is Cyrus the Persian. Uh, now, I am not an expert to resolve that. Um, different commentators hold different views quite firmly. Uh, leave you to it. I think the main point for us is on whichever reading you take it, the empires of the Medes and the Persians are overtaking the Babylonian Empire. So we're beginning to see in practice what was in the vision of chapter 5. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom. So the Medes and the Persians taking over the Babylonian Empire. Uh, there needs to be some system of government. We have the 120 satraps. 
with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. So in the court of Darius, Daniel holds a high position, one of three administrators appointed by the king. Daniel has risen through the ranks in chapters 1 and 2 of the book. In chapter 5, he's known to Belshazzar but out of favour. Now he's known by the king and in favour. In fact, Daniel so distinguishes himself, verse 3, among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. The NRSV translates it as an excellent spirit within him. That is, God is empowering Daniel to perform the tasks of the office. But Daniel's rise in prominence leads to envy and jealousy and a conspiracy by his colleagues to entrap him unfolds. It's the drama of the chapter. And of course a story which might have reminded Daniel of the story of Joseph, a vict- Joseph in the book of Genesis, a victim of conspiracy by his jealous brothers and his boss's wife when he's in slavery, but rising to prominence and eventually vindicated. Christians recognise Joseph in the book of Genesis as a type of Jesus. And as we read the story of Daniel, particularly in this chapter 6, it's worth drawing those lines as well. Daniel is not corrupt. He is not negligent. They can't catch him out on the performance of his duties. The only thing that's going to work is his catching him out on his faithfulness to the law of God. And so they come up with a scheme that they're sure will work. They have to be appear to be acting on the king's behalf, so they make it seem they want to help him help Darius unite his kingdom behind him. So they get Darius to issue an edict forbidding his subjects to pray to anyone but himself, divine or human. So it effectively, of course, sandwiches Daniel between two laws, the laws of the Medes and the Persians and the law of God. You might think of all the times they tried to catch Jesus out and in particular, you know, the, the, the coin with Caesar at the, on the coin. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, May King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisers and governors have all agreed, everyone except Daniel of course, that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. 
They put forward their suggestion as a protection against conspiracy, but actually it's a vehicle for their conspiracy against the king and Daniel. There's no doubt which law he will choose. As with Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, it was vital as a Jewish person not to do anything which compromised allegiance to God, the one God alone, or smacked of idolatry. Particularly important because it was these very things, worshipping other gods, bowing down to idols, expressly against the first two commandments, which really had led to their exile. As I said, the religious leaders of Jesus' day were jealous. And they work to entrap him by bringing Jesus' faithfulness to his own mission into conflict with other laws and customs. That's what they're constantly doing when they confront Jesus. And later, they report his claims to be the Messiah, which throws him into open conflict with with the Roman state. Jesus was also betrayed by those close to him. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. It's an act of what we call civil disobedience. And there is a place at times for civil disobedience disobeying the law because for something that we think is morally right. The one thing I will say is that one has to be prepared to pay the cost. That is the cost of civil disobedience. It's also an act of hope. When Daniel went and prayed toward Jerusalem, he's, he's not so much looking back, trying to hold on to the past, Israel as a powerful kingdom on the world stage. Daniel is looking to the future. He is facing Jerusalem and praying towards it because it is the city of God, destined for salvation. The city from whom the prophets promise God will one day send his deliverer. So what we see here is really an example of Daniel acting to keep to the heart of his faith, keeping his confidence in God's purposes as he looks to the city from whom God's deliverer will come. We don't tend to so much encourage the practice of turning towards Jerusalem three times a day, but we do as Christians, aren't we? We are as Christians encouraged in the regular practice of prayer, reading the scriptures, reminding us of God's purposes and God's promises fulfilled in Jesus. We remind 
ourselves and are encouraged as we gather to celebrate the sacrament regularly, whether that's once a week or once a month, whatever. In those different ways, in those different acts of prayer, we are encouraged to keep to the heart of our faith, keep our confidence in God's purposes. And of course, inevitably, the conspirators come to Daniel's house to catch him in the act. It's a very clever trap and it worked. And interestingly enough, they go back and effectively entrap the king. They get Darius to affirm his prohibition and agree the rule cannot be broken, then report the news that Daniel has continued to pray three times a day to his God. When the king heard this, verse 14, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. More literally, the king set his heart to save Daniel, which probably meant Darius explored every way he could think of to extricate Daniel from the death sentence. When Jesus was brought before Pilate, Pilate sympathised with him and his plight as much as he was able, recognising his innocence and working for his release. But just as the crowd resisted Pilate's efforts, shouting, release Barabbas and crucify Jesus, so the conspirators here in Daniel chapter 6 press their case. The law cannot be revoked. So the king gave the order and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. Unlike Nebuchadnezzar, who had told the three youths no God could rescue them and cast them into the fiery furnace in a rage, here in chapter 6 it is different. Daniel unwillingly sentenced Daniel to the pit of lions and adds a blessing, if not a prayer. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. It's very clear there is no hope just as when we read the Gospels when the, when, when the um, rock is placed in front of the tomb. The tomb is sealed. There is no way... Jesus is dead. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him and he couldn't sleep. So the king is absolutely beside himself. He's in misery without sleep. But he needn't have agonised. God was able and willing to protect Daniel as he'd protected the three friends from the fiery furnace. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? The answer is yes. God, Daniel's God, again intervenes through an angel, this time shutting the mouths of the lions, vindicating Daniel. Daniel is innocent in God's sight. The chapter makes that clear and also innocent of conspiring against the king. In fact, 
When Daniel was lifted from the den, verse 23, no wound was found in, on him because he had trusted in his God. And that is the key message to those reading, hearing Daniel for the first time, the exiles. Trouble will come one way or another. The answer is to continue to trust in God. And it's the key message for us. Trouble will come one way or another. The answer is to continue to trust in God. Like Daniel, Jesus paid the cost for his faithfulness to God, sentenced to crucifixion on a cross and thrown into a tomb. Tomb. Unlike Daniel, he was not rescued from the cross. Jesus suffered terrible wounds for our sake. The promise of God's presence was withdrawn because he bore our sin. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And as we're reminded in Peter, but it is by his wounds we have been healed. But notice, the conspirators had just labelled Daniel one of the exiles from Judah, verse 13. That emphasis on being the other, someone who's different. One of the exiles from Judah. Oh, not surprising that that person would want to try and conspire against you. Darius calls Daniel servant of the living God, verse 20. A pagan declaring, bringing the message home, and not just any pagan, the king, the God of the Israelites is alive, not dead, enduring, not transient. It is that God who is faithful the living God. Just as it is a pagan, a Roman centurion who declares at the foot of the cross, truly this man was the son of God. And the life-giving power of God is seen most powerfully in the resurrection. After three days, God raising Jesus from the dead the vindication of God, Father and Son, in, by the Father of the Son, through the power of the Spirit. It is also the symbol and assurance of our own ultimate rescue and vindication, the guarantee that we have the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Death has no sting. It's not a place of defeat, but victory. We keep to the heart of our faith, keep our confidence in God's purposes as we place our trust in the resurrected Jesus. God is the God of the living. 
As the Archbishop said in his last Synod charge, in a society like ours that is increasingly proud of its secular identity, new narratives about who we are as a nation seem to be in the process of construction. Time will tell how much they incorporate the ancient wisdom of the Jewish people, the covenant people, and the Christian communities that emerged with them. Yet Christianity has shared a long journey with many forms of polity and governance. And there's much that we can share in an open dialogue with those who are seeking to shape the future directions of our nation, such as our ancient traditions of lament, resonating with truth-telling about frontier conflict, a First Nations voiced parliament treaty, and other matters as well, rules-based processes to deal with corruption and gendered violence. We don't need to be fearful. We can trust in the God who is faithful to us, stay faithful to the heart of our faith, and be in dialogue, be present as Daniel was. Darius responded by punishing the conspirators with the punishment they'd arranged for Daniel. And Darius issues a decree which acknowledges God and commands his subjects to do likewise. And it ends in a doxology, a hymn of praise to the living God, the God who rescues and delivers people in need. What we will find is that the book of Daniel, as you go on, will address where it's not always the case that one gets rescued in this life. It's very important to read Daniel's chapters 1 to 6 together with 7 to the end of the book. It's not always a question, it's not always the case that we are rescued in this life. There are martyrs for the Christian faith. But let me finish with these words from 1 Peter 5, which end similarly with words of wisdom, but also with praise to our God. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. To him be the power for ever and ever. Amen.